0: Good evening, boys and girls. There's nobody here. Let's try this again. Good evening, boys and girls. Are you always that shy? Are they always this shy? Are, they, are you that shy at home? All right, let's try this again. Good evening, boys and girls. Oh, you can do better than that. I know you can. This is going to be a long evening, all right? Let's try those again. Good evening, boys and girls. Good ah, there we go. All right, wonderful. All right, I have a little lesson here this evening. I dug it out of the old archives, and it's going to be a story that I think many have heard, but I'll say it again because I'm guessing y'all might not have heard it. So, in Ephesians chapter two, okay. First off, how many of you ever got angry? Any of you? All right, don't be shy, be honest. Okay, how many of you all have been angry? Yeah, um, what do we have a tendency of doing when we're angry? Yes, yeah, just get mad, right? Yeah, that's right. What, what do you what do you tend to do when you get angry? Yes, fight. Whoa, oh my, I want to talk to your parents soon. All right, uh, what, what is something else you all want to do? So she just gets really mad, she fights. What do you all do when you get angry, huh? Say to them, "Ah, I love you." Is that what you say? No, nope. no, right? What do, what do you what do you say? Like, what do you do? All right, let me say this here: Let not corrupt talk come out of your mouth. Okay, there is times that there is a little muscle inside my face. It's called a tongue. And my when I get angry, and when you get angry, I am convinced that none of you are really quiet, right? How many of you have been angry and just didn't say a word? Yeah, right? No, we we start we, we get angry, we get upset, and the Bible talks about that we are uh, to control our tongue. You know, the, uh, we're, we're not to we're, we're also not to get angry, but we do our nature. Has it that way that we get upset? And then we start saying things. Then when you speak in an angry tongue, it's a little bit like, um, so it's a little bit like this soda, this here can here. So when somebody really shakes you up, you start getting really upset. And you know what's happening inside? There's something cooking in here so bad, it just needs to come out and it's like, psst. why did you blink? It's like when you open that. Okay? Do you know what happens? Your tongue is very much like this, and I won't do it. So there's times that we just need time. We need time to consider. And then you just meditate and you think before you speak. And then it'll all settle down. And then it is gentle. I won't try it, believe me. But so what? It's our tongue is a little bit like, our, our bodies are a little bit, and our hearts are a little bit like uh, like this soda. It, is, it just really shakes up and shakes up. And they're building pressure, building pressure. And then we spill. Right? Or don't you understand what I'm talking about? Yeah, all right, good. All right, so that is very important. Because how many of you have said things you should not have said in those times, and you needed to go and say, I'm sorry. Yeah. That is a very good thing to do. Let the words of that mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. That's important. Because how many of you wish sometimes you could take your words back? You say it, and you wish you could just go and grab them and, and bring them back. That's not possible. It's a little bit like toothpaste. So when we, when we say something, it comes out of our mouth. and goes, like, okay? And we wish we could take it back. Now, you're a pretty uh, intelligent-looking individual. Here, I'll give you this here, and you try to put that back in there. See what kind of luck you got. Yeah, it's long and tedious and it, it just isn't working, is it? See? It just keeps, <laughs> it doesn't go back in. Come on, come on. It's so, all right, how about you try it? See what type of luck you got. See? See? It just doesn't want to go back in. What's the problem? I wish I could take it back in, right? I can do whatever I want. And it's almost impossible to take those back in. And that is how our words are. They spill out, and we wish we could take them back in, but it's like a toothpick trying to put the toothpaste back into the tube, and it doesn't work. So it's important for us to understand the power of our words, and Lord willing, I'll be preaching a message on that uh, another evening. But it says, I tell you, on the Day of Judgment, people will give an account for every careless word that we say. There is a record in heaven that is, is being recorded of every word that we say. So it's important that, it's, that our thoughts and our meditation, that we think about what we say. And I, why am I saying that to little, children, to little children like you? Because it's important at a very, very young age to already understand The power of the tongue. And it's really important. What you say, you can't take it back. And so you have one thing left, and that is to seek forgiveness from Jesus for the things we did say, if they were cruel or unkind and inconsiderate of somebody else, that we can ask Jesus for forgiveness, and he forgives. But we can't take it back. And we can seek forgiveness from other people, so that like that little song. Oh, be careful, um, your eyes, your ears, your hands, your feet. But it also says, "Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say." There's a father up above, and he's looking down with love. So be careful, little mouth, what you say. Remember that song. Let's remember that. So I want to bless you as little children. Keep in mind that we need to control this tongue and speak love, kindness, and mercy to each other. Bless you very much. You can go back to your parents. Well, Lord, bless you tonight again for uh, being here. Uh, you have been a big inspiration in my life already in the few days I've been here. And uh, I know for a fact that you all are some serious prayer warriors. God has been faithful and He's been rich in uh, blessing me and my wife in the time that we've been here. So thank you for that. Um, how many of you woke up this morning? I was a little worried for a bit. (laughs) I thought, oh boy, this could be a long evening if nobody woke up this morning. Uh, So that's wonderful. Um, What was the thing that you all said when you woke up this morning? What is the first thing that you said when you opened your eyes and you realized that uh, it's morning? What did you say? Yes? Because of your challenge, I say, "Good morning, Jesus." All right. How many said, or uh, did anybody else? What do you, What was the first thing that came to your mind? Yeah. Good morning, Jesus. How many others? All right. Boys and girls, how many of you woke up this morning and said, "Ah, wonderful." There's a little one that said, "Good." Um, how many boys and girls said that when you woke up this morning and you said, "Good morning, Jesus." All right, I want to leave that challenge with you continually because what that does, it sets you on course for a good day and a blessing to serve the Lord. And when you take Jesus as being personal and he is your friend, he is your Lord, he is your Savior and through that, that we want to give him praise and glory uh, from the very time we wake up until we close our eyes in the evening and and, uh, go to sleep. So the memory uh, verse uh, that we find in the Bible is found in uh, Romans 14, verse 17 and 18. Romans 14, verse 17 and 18. These are special words, well the entire Bible is special, but these are words uh, stood out to me as I thought of coming here for a week. And it says in verse 17, let's say it together, all right? Let's stand together for a change of position. All right, let's say it together. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. And so and it goes on to say, let us therefore follow after the things which, are, or sorry, which make for peace, and the things wherewith one may edify one another. May the Lord have the blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. So when we think about the kingdom of God, and uh, we think about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, and I find that is, uh, is a very important reality. And when I think about these, uh, this in the Holy Ghost, dear friends, I think about the grace of God. The grace and the mercy of God. All these things are strength and power from God to us that we are able to then express them in and through our lives. Absent of the grace of God, there is no joy. Absent of the grace of God, there is no peace. And so when we think about the grace of God and his enabling grace, he strengthens us to enable us to fulfill and to be that channel whereby his love and mercy can flow through. Ephesians chapter 2, I would like for you to take your Bibles and turn there this evening. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we all, we all had our conversation in time past. In lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But, but God. But God who is rich in mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath made us alive together with Christ. By grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might shew the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. By grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. For we, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past, Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of his promise, having no hope without God in the world. But but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were, or sorry, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile Both unto God in one body, by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And we'll see his reading there. We could read on, well, let's read on down to the end. And came and preached peace to you, which were afar off to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So when we look at that passage of Scripture, it is inspiring, it is humbling, it is unto understand, dear friends, tonight that absent of Jesus Christ, absent of that Spirit of God and that grace that is within us, absent of that, that we are dead, there is no life in us, none whatsoever. And so we look at this here and by uh, a supernatural power of the holy spirit working a work of grace in our lives we can be transformed and re- and made into a new creature new life being born again and that is So crucial, and it when we think about the message of God's covenant grace to mankind, it starts in Genesis and it ends in Revelation. The entire book of the Bible, all all, the entire Bible, is kind of surrounding around that uh, grace that God has for his people and wants to redeem them and bring them back into the family of God. In Hebrews, it talks about. That grace that we can misuse it and not, uh, and not treat it as we ought. And it says, for how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace, has outraged the spirit of grace. When, we th- when I think about that grace that continually flows from God to us, I am so humbled to understand that without that grace, I can in no way, shape, or form reflect Jesus Christ. None whatsoever. Not in one way or another. But simply, it is through that grace that flows from heaven to man and it says by grace are ye saved through faith there in verse 8 it talks about that and when I think about faith and I think about grace and the way I would like for us to consider that difference is when I think about faith I believe that is to mean an action word for mankind To engage in God. It is something that we are required to do. So I'll give you this analogy. When I think of grace flowing from heaven to man. It is only possible if we by faith and believe and reach for his hand. And thereby that grace flows from heaven to man. There's so many of us in our times that we have our hands in our pockets. We are stubborn as a mule and we have no desire to receive the grace because we are so selfishly minded. And so we walk around and we don't repent. We are just, we are just stubborn people and we walk around. No, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm sufficient with myself. And thereby we are absent of the grace of God. But if we stop and recognize that we are in need of His grace in order to be saved... Then what we will do, we will recognize God in us. And then when we reach our hand into the hand of the Savior, it is when we cling to the hand of the Savior. That is an expression of faith. We believe in Christ. We trust in Him. We look at Him and we cling to Him. And so now you can imagine, just envision Jesus Christ His hand is in my hand. And that is now the channel that represents faith. And from heaven to man, grace flows from heaven through Christ down to us and enables us and illuminates us and empowers us. But absent of belief, absent of of understanding Christ, absent of reaching for Him in full trust and confidence, that we grieve the spirit and thereby grace is withheld from us and kept by God remember grace is metered from heaven to us as what we're in need of but by, by grace are you saved through faith yes we understand there's those, uh, that, that theology of, of uh, faith only no no We need to express our faith and believe in Jesus in full confidence and trust and thereby comes grace and thereby only. And so let's build that bridge of faith from us to God and thereby grace can flow from God to man. And so let us not hinder that grace. Let's not outrage that grace, that spirit of grace, by neglecting God, or minimizing God, or not trusting God. When I think of faith, I believe in something to the point where I will act upon it. If I would have a chair sitting up here, I could use the pew, but I would have a chair sitting here. I believe in that chair has the capacity to hold me and thereby I express my faith in that and I sit on the chair in full confidence it's going to hold me. And that is how we must have that faith that an act of trust engaging in the things of God and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and reaching for his grace and then God will empower us. When we think about uh, selfishness and grieving grace and grieving the Spirit of God for not enabling us, I think of, very, of things that we do in our lives that hinder or grieve the Spirit of God. And that grace is hindered. Lack of a full surrender is a lack of full faith in Christ if we don't fully surrender that is a demonstration of a lack of faith because faith is an action word that requires our response in believing in Jesus and so when I think about a full surrender does God want most of us or all of us Christianity costs us something. It costs us everything. Everything, dear friends. Nothing held back. And when I think about a full surrender, a full sellout for for God, I have to think about Abraham and Isaac. And dear friends, when I think about Abraham and Isaac... I think about Abraham and Isaac going up that mountain. And the wood was with him. And and they were heading up that mountain. Abraham knew what was before him. Isaac most likely did not. And so when they were up at that mountain, then what did Abraham do? He built an altar, right? He built an altar. And the of obedience, he put the wood on the altar. And then he put his son on the altar. Now, I'm going to ask you the question, is that fully surrendered? What do you think? We deem it as being fully surrendered, but let me challenge you, there's one component that is missing yet to a demonstration of absolute full surrender. And because of us in our minds, that is how we end off in many cases. We build an altar, we put the wood on, and we even put the situation or the matter on the altar, and we call that full surrender. We're not done yet. What was what was the next thing that Abraham did? He went up with a knife. That is now full surrender. And there and an absent of the knife, there would not have been full surrender and obedience to God. And so that's the illustration that I want to give to you to us all. There are many Christians today that believe that surrender is having everything on the altar and that is where we stop and we fail to find complete and absolute victory and the grace of God in our lives because that is as far as we take it and we think it's enough but I tell you surrender absent of the knife is incomplete if we are not willing to, to lay down our all and to, to die with Christ, then it is an incomplete work of grace in our lives. And God cannot, and will, sorry, cannot, that's not right. He will not bring upon our lives grace absent of full surrender and repentance. And so where is the knife Today? Where is the knife of obedience to follow through? And when I think about repentance, I would like for us to consider uh, a full uh, or a partial surrender, uh, uh, another illustration in the Old Testament in Joshua. When we look in Joshua, take your Bibles there to Joshua chapter 7, and it's the sin of Achan. And I would like just for us to consider this story when I think about a partial surrender and a casual view of a full surrender to God's will. And so Achan, in chapter 7 of Joshua, it says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Sabadee, the son Sarah of the tribe of Judah, took the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. So, when we think about Ai, let's compare it with Jericho. So the children of Israel, so they conquered Jericho. And Jericho was a big city, right? That was a big city. And they conquered that by simple obedience to God. They walked around that that city and the walls, they crumbled part ways, right? Huh? Jay doesn't agree with me. And some of you all don't. What happened? The walls went down? Flat. I mean literally destroyed. So... Can I say it casually? The children of Israel kind of had an ego boost. Can I say that? Because they conquered Jericho. And so now, and they were told not or to keep themselves from the accursed thing in the process of that victory. But uh, Achan, uh, he didn't. And so he took the accursed thing. And God was upset. So Joshua in verse 2 sent men from Jericho to Ai. Well, Ai was just a puny little village compared to Jericho. It was very minute. It was not very big. And so Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. And they explored that. And they came back. And they uh, reported to Joshua and said to him in verse 3, Ah, uh, let not all the people go. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, They said, "No, nah, don't let all the people go up, but let two or three thousand men go and smite Ai. And make not all the people to labor thither, for they are all but few. Take note of that verse. Think about it. So they went up. I don't know how many people they had in Israel. But let's say between 800,000 and a million people. Let's just make that as a... That's how many people they had. Well, these came back from looking at AI and they says, Ah, we'll just send up 3% of our people. We won't send up 100% to conquer this city. We'll just do 3%. 2 to 300,000. That's it. Because there's... Really not, not that big a deal. AI, pfft, ah, it's no big deal. We'll just send a few hundred thousand up there. We'll conquer it. We'll, we'll be back shortly after breakfast. So up they went. Two or three thousand. And I can about imagine the casual approach. They were looking at this little village. And no big deal. See, we just got done conquering Jericho. And now... So it's going to be a walk in the park. We'll be back shortly after breakfast. And so they went up. Well, they opened up. They got close to Ai. And those gates flew open. And there was people coming out every which way. And they put those few angeland, casual people on their heels. And they turned and they ran and out of those 3,000, there was about 30 and about 36 casualties as a result of it. Well, they came back panting a little bit before breakfast. And they came back to Joshua. And they said, oh my, our hearts are melted because of our loss. It is terrible. Well... Joshua rent his clothes, in verse 6, fell on the earth upon the face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide, and, and and he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads, and Joshua said, now get this, Joshua said, alas, O Lord God. Wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to, li- to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, pity me. Isn't that what happened? So get this picture. So here they went up with only 3% of the capacity that they were supposed to go up with to conquer Ai. Ai. And they just took that casual approach. And they got kicked in the shins. And they were hurting. And they came back and they were kind of. And then Joshua says Lord. You know look at what happened. And he goes into a pity party. And he says now look at what he says in the latter part of that verse. Would to God we had been content and dwelled. Back in Egypt? Is that what he said? No. He said, would we have been content just on the other side of the river? See, Joshua, he knew better than to think that they want to go all the way back to Egypt because that is where sin was. No, 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 no. He was just saying, it would have been good just to be on the other side of the river. But even that was... Uh, I, I, I'm, I, it's a little bit like for us. Let me give you this comparison. When I look at this here picture here, I look at uh, similar when we we're faced with the enemy, a sin situation in our lives, and if we don't wholeheartedly, a full surrender and commitment to God and mortify that sin and bring it to death then we will not receive a victory and many Christians today are sitting at a pity party with God because they lost of something that they didn't give a full commitment to dear friends I want you to understand the only way there is victory if we fully engage in full surrender. And the Bible goes on to talk about mortifying the deeds of the flesh. And what does mortify mean? Put to death. death. And in more blunt terminology, it says to butcher it. That is the literal terminology of mortifying the deeds of the flesh. And so we want all this victory from God absent of slaughtering the sin in our lives. And that is what happened with Joshua and the children of Israel is they took an onchalant approach to a sin matter in their lives and they got defeated. And they started saying, oh God, where are you? Well, God is precisely where he's always been. He hasn't changed. It is our perspective of our approach to him That we are called to go and totally invade and totally surrender and totally mortify the deeds of the flesh. And then in verse 8 it says, O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their back before their enemies? And so he goes and starts bargaining with God. So what are the people going to think when we are defeated? You know, that's not going to look good on us. Does that ever go through our hearts as well? When, uh, when we are dealing with situations in our lives that need to be brought to death and then we are defeated and we blame God or we bargain with God. In verse 10 it says, And the Lord said to Joshua, and I like this, and that's the message for us here tonight. When we are found... Bargaining with God, face down in defeat because of a not a full surrender. God looked at Joshua and he said, get up. Remember Joshua was face down and he was griping with God. He was complaining with God and he was starting to bargain with him. When the reality was they didn't take a full approach against the enemy. And God says get up. Why liest thou thus upon your face? Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing. And have also stolen and dissembled also. And have put it even among their own stuff. Look what it says in verse 12. It says, therefore, because of that, the children of Israel cannot stand before their enemy. Understand this, friends. I want this to be crystal clear. This analogy is crystal clear to me that if we have known sin in our lives, we will not be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Not a chance. Same as what the the entire uh, nation Israel at this time, they were not able to stand because they had willful sin in amongst their camp and therefore there was the power of resisting the enemy was gone because the grace of God was grieved and held back and was not able to flow and restore and renew. And so likewise in your life and in mine, we can gripe. We can complain. We can play the shame game. We can, slay, we can play the, the martyr game. And oh my, you know, I've been defeated. Stop and think. What was your approach to your sin matter in your life? Are you able to fully surrender it? As long as it is that sin is in the grip of your hand, And it is in your possessions. Don't expect victory against the enemy. Therefore the children of Israel cannot stand before their enemy. But it says, now look at what it says there in verse 12. But turn their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. And now look at what it says here. In verse 12, the latter part, neither will I be with you anymore <clears throat> except ye destroy the accursed thing among you. And here he said in verse 10 to Joshua, get up, and on in verse 13 he goes up and says, up, stand to your feet, get in action, and go and sanctify yourself. That is what he's saying. Sanctify sanctify the people and say, Sanctify yourself against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemy until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. And taking that accursed thing is what we're called to do as individuals. Anything, brethren and sisters. As Christian people, we are called to be sanctified, be set apart, to be cleansed, and that requires putting away. And then there was that horrendous scrutiny that they were put under. In verse 14, In the morning, therefore, ye shall be brought according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof. And the families which the Lord uh, shall take shall come by households. And the households which the Lord shall take shall come by man by man. Do you see what's happening here? that accursed thing required significantly significant research to find out where it is and there was a scrutiny from God on from the tribe to the family to individuals to man to man my if you think your church is too thorough in hinder, or to exploring Sin amongst your people, look at the scrutiny that they went under. My, my, it was right down man to man. And it shall be that he that was taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he has, because he hath transgressed against the covenant of the Lord. See, listen, friends, and as we know, uh, Achan and his family, they lost their lives. Because what was found was that accursed thing. And Achan answered to Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord, of, Lord God of Israel. Thus and thus have I done. And when I saw among the spoil a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weighed, then I coveted them and took them And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. And we know that the uh, punishment was metered out. He died. The family died. And there was a full purge made on the children of Israel for the accursed thing. It cost somebody their lives and so it is for us dear friends sin will separate us from God and we must understand dear friends Abraham in full surrender had the knife and he was going to be obedient to absolute death of his only son in obedience to God Ai could not have been conquered because of sin in their lives. And so friends, we must understand a full surrender is important but we by obedience to God must follow through and bring it to its end. Because I, I remember as, a, as, a, as an addict in my life and I remember as as, as, as I was praying and I wanted to be delivered from the addiction that was a great longing for me and I'll give you this illustration so here I was addicted and yet I was it it was like almost like this here so I wanted to so desperately get rid of my addiction that was so important to me and I longed to be be delivered from it and as I hung on to this I brought it onto the altar and I said oh God Deliver me from this serpent. Deliver me from this here bondage that I am in. Didn't happen. It didn't happen. And it didn't happen. And I don't know how many times I prayed and I begged and I pled with God. I was so sick of it. It wasn't until I repented of that sin in the truest sense that I was delivered from it. And repentance means not praying over it. Yes, I, I believe in prayer, don't get me wrong. But not praying over your addiction, not praying over your sin, but turning your back and walking away from it. That is called true repentance. My goal was now changed. My destiny was now changed. I left what I was addicted to and I committed my will and the way to God and I was absolutely and fully delivered from that bondage and I stand here tonight and sing from that day forth, it has never touched my lips. But as long as it was in the grip of my hand, as desperate as I was, as long as I didn't fully surrender and repented of that sin, I will not be delivered from it. And whatever is in your life, whatever that may be, if it's technology, if you're addicted to Instagram, if you're addicted to pornography, if you're addicted to whatever social media has to offer, which that is a reality. I want to tell you, friends, what did Jesus say? How to handle these matters. What did Jesus say? He said, plug it out and cut it off. You cannot be victorious as long as you're gripping to it. As much as you hate it, as much as it is ruining your life, as much as it is despising God, you're not going to get delivered until it's plugged out and cut off. And there's means and measures by which that needs to happen in order for you and I to be cut, to get victory over it. If, it, if it's not, you're going to be like Joshua. Oh, God! You're going to be phased down and you're going to look so holy in the process. But you're not going to get victory. You won't. Not until you're going to say, as Jesus did, To the enemy. You know, Jesus is a great example. So Jesus was the son of God. He was sinless. He was perfect. Why in the world would he have had to take such a stand against the enemy? Remember how Jesus was tempted. And what was one of the things that Jesus, when Satan came and tempted Jesus, what was one of the things that Jesus said to Satan? It is written. There's one. Okay. What's not? What else? Say that again. Okay. That's right. Exactly. And get the hands. He literally used the scriptures against the enemy. He did. Now, Jesus, being the Son of God, and I don't know how you view Christ. But in what tone of voice do you suppose Jesus spoke to Satan? Help me out. Give me an example of how you think Jesus spoke to Satan. With authority. With authority. Give me an example. Just say, get the hands in the tone of voice you think he said. Oh, we barely want to do that, do we? Precisely and that is exactly why there are many sickly and weak among us it's because we're not taking the same steps that Jesus Christ took in order to speak against the powers of hell Jesus Christ I am persuaded now, I want to give you one more chance in what tone of voice do you think Jesus spoke those words in the face of the enemy the hand, that's right and I think he could have outdone Jay. I really believe that. I do. I I think he said it. You're right, brother. It was with authority. But there was also a measure of urgency. He said, get thee hands. And let me give you, I know time is creeping on, uh, in my testimony, and I'll give you this window, this little window in my testimony. I got saved at 28 years old. And soon after... We, uh, we, we started at Woodlawn Mennonite Fellowship, which is a Midwest fellowship. And we, well, we had Wednesday evening Bible study. And oh my, I was so excited to go to Wednesday evening Bible study. And I was on my way to a uh, Wednesday evening Bible study in my Pontiac 6000. And I was rolling down the road, and I can tell you exactly where I was on the road. And I was excited to be there. And with my sinful past... Satan had his toolbox full of tools that he hurled up against me time and time again. And this Wednesday night on the way to Bible school or Bible study, I was delighted to be there, I was excited, and I was ready to go. And all of a sudden as I was driving down that road, there was an object of some sort that was placed between me and God. And there was an obstacle between my relationship and with uh, with God. And I was confused. I was not knowing what was going on. And I was trying to speak to God as I was the minute before. But there was this object. It was like there was a stone between the rays of sun and me. There was just not that flowing. There was an object there. And I begged God and I pled with God. All of a sudden it dawned on me. God is not a God of confusion. But he's a God of love and mercy and grace. And I identified that object. And I don't know what it was yet today. Other than the devil himself. He brought that shadow between me and God. And the words of Jesus came to me. And I'm telling you what. If the windows were down of that old Pontiac 6000. I think the neighbor's dogs could have heard me. Saying get the hands, the, Satan. That object was gone. The light of the gospel shone and I had communication with God. That's not a fictitious story. That is for real. I could take you to the spot where it happened. And I still remember I walked into Woodlawn Mernite Fellowship that day. I was shaking. And I looked at Peter, uh, Peter Kipfer. He was stood about this high. And it says, Brother Peter, I don't know what all transpired and I told him the story and Peter in his mild voice he just says brother Willis if Satan reminds you of your past remind him of his future and he will flee that was a tool I needed and I've used it ever since but I want to tell you friends Without a shadow of a doubt. The enemy does not lay down play dead. It takes a supernatural grace and power from God. To empower us with that grace. To withstand the wiles of the devil. And he will. But absent of a full surrender. We will be like Joshua. And if we don't mortify and butcher the deeds of the, of the flesh and we hold hands to it, and we want to hold hands with God. I want to assure you, my friends, that is a dead and a tedious life. We cannot afford, but we must surrender all. We are to be crucified with Christ. And it it says there in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Here the Apostle Paul expresses his identification with Jesus Christ crucified. He sees himself as having died alongside Jesus, and now his life is intertwined with Christ's full surrender a full commitment an act of obedience all the way to the cross Jesus did it and we are called to it Jesus was sinless he was perfect and he did not just stay with surrender he went through in obedience Think about it. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember his prayer? That was a prayer of full surrender. And if Jesus would have stopped there, where would you and I be today? If we stop short of the full mortification and put to death of our sins, there will not be victory. Just as Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane there was a full surrender but he didn't stop there he followed through in obedience to the Father and went all the way to the cross of Jesus Christ and he died he died and we will not be victorious we will not experience the power of the resurrection absent of death you understand that we will not experience the power of the resurrection absent of death And death means death. While we were dead in sin and trespasses, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for us. And so that we can die with him, be crucified with him, and experience that resurrecting power. Absent of death, there will be no resurrection absent of mortifying the the deeds of the flesh there will be no victory we cannot stop at surrender we must follow through in obedience and bring to be what God has in mind so dear friends tonight if we are absent of being plugged out and cut off if there are still things in your life that have that are of this world and, and of Satan and its sin, if those things are still alive in your life, not mortified, the job isn't done. Satan is still in control. And God is not. His grace is begging to be expressed in and through your life if we only by faith and obedience reach for him and thereby grace can come from heaven to us and bring to us the new life in Christ Jesus. Where are you standing tonight? Are you, did you give Christ 99% of you and your life? Did you give him 99%? Good for you. But that's not enough. He wants 100%. Everything you have, everything that you, that, that you have needs to have been put on the altar. Your business, your home, your family, your spouse, your all, everything on the altar before God. Surrendered and in full obedience, willing and ready. To let go and have that fully submitted to the will and the way of God. Everything. Your interaction with uh, Jesus said he chose not to take us out of this world, but that we will be in this world, but not of this world. If we are still tied to the things of this world, in whatever form it is, and we're not finding victory, Then, dear friends, we must make that calling and election sure tonight. You know what it is in your life if there is something. I don't. God does, and you do. And there's a call for you, if there is, to respond and bring that open before God. Repent of it and be free and delivered. Let's pray. Mighty God in heaven, I pray, Lord, that your ministering grace would rest upon us. Convict us, dear Lord, in any area in our lives that we have not brought open before you and confessed and repented. Lord, you know each single heart here tonight. Yes, you do. And you know what is here in this house. And you know whether there will be, whether this house, this assembly will stand together in victory. And you know individuals, Lord. And you know if there is an accursed thing among us. Father, speak, touch, and draw any here tonight that need to bring yet one more thing before you in repentance? Keep your eyes closed and pray. Is there any here tonight that are not ready to meet God because of the luggage that you are bearing? Is there anybody? If it is, I invite you to a step forward and we'll have somebody praying with you. Is all on the altar, just as I am, without one plea that I to was shed for. I come. I come, Thank you. And God bless you for being here tonight. Keep praying for the Spirit of the Lord to work his work of grace here among us. We are all in need of a continuing cleansing and refining by the grace of God. And so I thank you so much for your attentiveness tonight. And I pray that you have a good night. And I pray that you will wake up in the morning with Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior and as your guide for the day. And so I want to pray a dismissal blessing as we leave tonight. Let's stand together. Lord God. I pray that you would dismiss us now with your anointing. Allow your spirit to work in each of our lives. Illuminate the path before us, God. And I pray that each one of us could say that we have been with Jesus and that our hearts are in tune with you. And I pray, Lord, against the powers of darkness and the enemy that wants to invade the souls that are here tonight. I pray against that the enemy in Jesus' name, in the power of the resurrection. And I pray that you would shepherd, guide, and lead in every aspect as we leave this place. So we entrust all to you. Through Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.